Welcome to FDI's new show, The Falun Gong Bulletin, where we cover news from China and offer our insight and analysis on why it matters, even to us here in the West. On today's show, we'll cover the State Department's sanction of a CCP official for human rights violations against Falun Gong, a personal story of an accountant who has suffered for her faith at the hands of the CCP, a former deputy director of Chinese Gestapo-like 610 office who was sentenced to 14 years in jail, a UK anti-organ harvesting bill, which passed with support from all parties. We'll wrap up today's show with a deep dive on the evil and horrific legacy of Jiang Zemin. Hi, I'm Ben Maloney, Digital Outreach Director for Falun Dafa Information Center. And I'm Cynthia Sun, News Editor of Falun Dafa Information Center. So we're just going to start today's show with uh, breaking news. So this is, we're filming uh, this episode on Human Rights Day. Yesterday, the State Department, U.S. State Department, came out with a release called Combating Global Corruption and Human Rights Abuses. And I just want to read from it for a second. So on the occasion of the International Anti-Corruption Day and the eve of International Human Rights Day, the U.S. is taking the following actions to promote accountability of corruption and human rights abuse around the world. These actions include financial sanctions, building upon the implements of the Global Minitsky Act, four additional country-focused executive orders. The actions also include visa restrictions pursuant to Section 7031C of the Department of State, Foreign Operations and Related Programs Appropriation Act 2022. So this is uh, very important. And so what they say exactly uh, in relation to Falun Gong is that Tong Yong, former deputy director of the Chongqing area prisons in the PRC, pursuant to Section 7031C, the De State Department is designating Tong for his involvement in gross violations of human rights, namely arbitrary detention of Falun Gong practitioners, which also amount to particularly severe violations of religious freedom. This is the second time that the Biden State Department has sanctioned an official for violations of human rights against Falun Gong. The first one was done last year, which was Yu Hui, who was a former office director of the so-called Central Leading Group on Preventing and Dealing with Heretical Religions, who was also sentenced under the Section 7031C. So the Section 7031C is a broad, um, a broad sanction that actually applies not only to the official being sanctioned, but also to their families not being allowed um, entry to the U.S. And so some of these sanctions uh, have financial repercussions, such as if you have property in the U.S. or you have any sort of assets in the U.S., they can be seized. But some, some officials in, in the CCP don't have assets in the U.S. So by using the 7031C, uh, the State Department broadens that sanction by saying that you won't even be allowed admission. So, you know, college admission or other admissions. So this is a very powerful sanction that actually has effects on the ground in China. We mentioned in our last show, this was one of the things that we recommend for more of this to happen. When these uh, sanctions happen, that officials on the ground in China try to change their title or the department that they work in in order to try to um, get away from these sanctions. And in some isolated cases, uh, we know that uh, even some of the persecution against Falun Gong practitioners uh, gets better or, or they're released entirely, although that's not on a broad scale. We hope to see more of this in the future. Um, and maybe you can take us through the, the rest of the news stories today. Sure, thank you. The first news story today is about a Changsha City, Hunan Province accountant. She's 49 years old, named Gong Xianghui. In 2020, she was actually arrested along with her husband and 15 other Falun Gong practitioners in a mass arrest for their faith. In December 7th, 2021, um, she was sentenced to three years and four months in prison solely on account of her faith, and she wasn't given 
any rights to representation, um, and she wasn't allowed to speak up um, in defense for herself. In July this year, she was actually taken to prison to serve these three years, and she won't be able to be released until 2025. This is important because this isn't her first sentencing. This isn't her first time in labor camp or in prison. Mrs. Gong was actually arrested six times since 1999 when the persecution started. And even in the early 2000s, um, when she was six months pregnant, she was arrested and detained, and prison guards forced her to abort her second child, um, which is a horrific, horrific um, thing for a mother. Her husband actually didn't practice Falun Gong until recently, and hearing news of her sentencing really shocked him to the point where um, right now he's very depressed and needs to be taken care of by his parents and the in-laws. This is just one case out of thousands um, that are happening right now. Uh, you said that one of the top officials in China was sanctioned. Actually, um, even after the sanctioning of CCP officials, it doesn't mean that the persecution has ceased to exist or cease to continue operating. No, no, no. And also, this is one, you know, the State Department took great action to sanction one, one official, but this is one official from one prison system. The persecution of Falun Gong is across almost every province and every area. So the actually the amount of people that should be sanctioned is 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 huge. Yeah, so it's definitely not uh, definitely not all encompassing. It's actually the sanctioning of um, Tong actually ties in with the sentencing domestically inside China of the six ten deputy director mm. Peng Bo. He was. Um, you know, a perpetrator of Mrs. Gong's um, prior arrests uh, because he was basically the head of the 610 office, which is, like you mentioned, the Gestapo-like. It's an extra-legal agency that was created by Jiang Zemin to specifically target Falun Gong practitioners. And it operates today even in the West. It's um, in charge of transnational repression as well as domestic repression of Falun Gong. Yeah, and we'll, talk, we'll definitely get into 610 yeah. office when we talk about Jiang's legacy, but you touched on something important that people in the West should understand. You know, the, the tentacles of, of the Chinese Communist Party reach beyond the borders of China. And so, you know, 610 office has influence in, like, the embassies, for instance. We know that, like, Confucian Institutes or whatever had influence on college campuses. And so this is something, um, this is also part of Zhang's legacy in that transnational repression and trying to control narratives and people, uh, even in the U.S., is, is, is pretty large. These two people, Tong and Peng, they were both CCP officials that did horrendous things to thousands of Falun Gong practitioners. But even after the news of, you know, their sanctioning of Peng Bo was sentenced to 14 years for corruption. So he's out of his position. He's been replaced by someone else um, in the party system. But that means that the 610 office still operates and the persecution is still going on, even in the absence of these top like CCP leaders. Right. And it's, uh, we should note that, you know, the, the, the infighting and uh, things that happen within the Chinese Communist Party, it's very hard to understand mm -hmm. what's really happening, right? So, so his sentencing, for instance, sentenced for corruption, there's been actually, I think most of the heads of the 610 office has been sentenced from one thing or another uh, over, over the years. Um, but it's very hard to understand what, what's really going on behind the scenes of this kind of factional 
uh, disputes. So all, all we can say is that they, they have been sentenced and some of the allegiances for persecuting Falun Gong, you know, whether it's uh, Bo Xi Lai or Jiu Kong, uh, those people have, have also been sentenced for very similar things around corruption. All the Falun Dafa Information Center and other human rights organizations can do is just to call for more sanctions, um, call for more um, precedents um, to, you know, make sure that these officials are held accountable. And that actually ties into our third news story, which is the United Kingdom and its precedent set on November 30th when the House of Commons passed a bill to block all UK public contracts with companies that could be complicit in forced organ harvesting. And this bill specifically targets forced organ harvesting and what the United Kingdom can do domestically to stop money from flowing into what they know as an unethical medical industry. This isn't the first time they've made amendments. Um, in May, uh, Amendment 164 to the Health and Care Act um, prohibits British citizens and British na nationals from traveling outside of the United Kingdom to purchase an, an organ. So you can think of the new amendment to the procurement bill, uh, November 30th, as like a sequel to this, the first bill passed in May. First, they stop British citizens and nationals from leaving the country to go to China or other places to unethically receive an organ transplant. And then second, they have one that actually restrains businesses and public contracts within the United Kingdom, which they can actually control from going and doing business with China and China's organ transplant companies, all of the, the medical institutions that are involved with forced organ harvesting that we have evidence for now. We should note the UK joins um, a bunch of countries that have taken action against this. Uh, the United States has a bill right now yeah. uh, going through the Stop Organ Harvesting Act. Although they've done resolutions before, this is sort of a bigger step um, it's going through right now. Yeah, agree. So that's actually uh, an appropriate segue into us talking about today's deep dive, which is the legacy of Jiang Zemin. For some background, if you, you know, saw some of the articles that came out after his death recently, you went to Wikipedia or Google, you'd, you'd know that he was the uh, general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party from 89 to 2002 chairman of the Central Military Commission from 89 to 04, and as president from China from 93 to 2003. And while those are official titles, uh, a more accurate description would be one of the worst despots in world history. Jiang Zemin personally started and oversaw what many experts now label a genocide of the largest persecuted group in Chinese history that continues to this day. We're talking about the persecution of 70 to 100 million Falun Gong practitioners who practice truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Zhang personally started, orchestrated, and carried out mass imprisonment, torture, and killing of untold amount of people who practice Falun Gong. But before we get into the numbers and the horrors of his reign and how he should be remembered as the evil despot that he was, I think it's appropriate that we pause and look at some of the victim testimony in their own words to talk about his legacy. My name is Yu Han. I believe my father is a victim of forced organ harvesting in China. I was 19 when I was told he died in a Beijing detention center in 2004. I thought it must be a mistake because just three months earlier, when he was arrested for practicing Falun Gong, a meditation in the Buddhist tradition, he'd been so healthy. I saw his body before it was cremated. 
He was terribly thin and bruised all over, but from his throat was an incision that went all the way down his torso. In his stomach area, we could feel a hard block of ice beneath his skin that was stitched with thick black thread. One day, when I was detained in the Chatou Women Forced Labor Camp in Guangzhou, and I was took to a, a dark room with all the newspaper blocking the window, and I was forced to put in a double lotus position. And I was tied by a bed sheet. Both my arms are tied behind my back, and they put me in the middle of that dark room, and started to beat me, started to insult me for fourteen hours straight, without break, without bathroom. I am a Falun Gong practitioner from China. I have been detaining forced labor camps and prisons. I have been persecuted for about six years, so I know very well the facts of the CCP's persecution of spiritual practice. In the brainwashing class in Huangpu District, there were thirty or forty people. We were forced to watch videos that demonize Falun Gong. The videos were designed to change my thoughts, which I then had to write down. If I refused to write, I was subject to sleep deprivation. Yeah,、uh, literally, they can do anything, anything to you. I got、uh, physically abused. Like、uh, I was forced to、uh, squat on the ground for a long period of the time. The police、um, just took me in the midnight. Took me to his office and、uh, handcuffed me to the to the,、uh, to the bed, and then he used the electric baton to shock me. And、uh, after a while, you think you you can still continue? You still don't want to give up? Okay, you tortured me for a, for an hour. So we just heard from people that represent tens of millions of Falun Gong practitioners who were tortured. And many of those people are no longer here, alive to tell their story. And so there's a lot in the media, kind of painting rosy news stories about Zhang, especially in the West. But you shouldn't let those stories distract you from the fact that tens of millions of Falun Gong practitioners' lives were torn apart as a part of Zhang Zemin's directive. And to remember him of anything other than an evil despot would be doing a disservice to the millions of Falun Gong practitioners who suffered in his hands. And so, to understand Zhang's legacy, we have to give a little bit of context to the rise of Falun Gong and the size and significance of it before going into his brutal and deadly reaction to it. Because much of the CCP's propaganda over the last decades has been to malign Falun Gong in the West, to control its coverage, and make people feel as though it's a small fringe issue. But in reality, Falun Gong is one of the largest defining stories in modern Chinese history. And Falun Gong was introduced to China in 1992 by Mr. Li Hongzhi, and it was introduced through a series of lectures that were given from 92 to 94. And from 1992 to 1999, organically, Falun Gong grew from zero to 100 million practitioners by Chinese government's own estimates of 70 to 100 million practitioners. That means that one out of every 13 Chinese people were practicing Falun Gong, and the amount of people practicing Falun Gong exceeded the amount of people in the Chinese Communist Party. And the amount of people practicing Falun Gong permeated. 
through every level of Chinese society, from farmers to top CCP officials. And the resurgence of Chinese traditional values was obviously at odds with the atheism, violence, and struggle of the Marxism of the Chinese Communist Party. And Jiang Zemin, who was a person that came up through the ranks through squashing the Tiananmen Square protests, was someone that wanted to solidify his power through violence and an iron fist. And he wanted to solidify his power through placing people under him and throughout the Chinese Communist Party that would be loyal to him through corruption. Through his own decision making, in 1999, on July 20th, he started the illegal persecution of Falun Gong, based on his own directive, and he didn't have the support of all the fellow CCP Politburo standing, standing members. And to quote him, it really sums up kind of what his goals were and his legacy, just to quote him about Falun Gong. He said, to ruin their reputations, to bankrupt them financially, and to destroy them physically. And that's exactly what he set out to do. He pumped out a massive propaganda campaign. In 1999, the Washington Post reported that it was Zhang who ordered that Falun Gong be labeled a cult and then demanded a law be passed to outlaw cults. But Falun Gong was widely promoted by the Chinese government. They even invited Mr. Li Hongzhi to introduce it to the French embassy in Paris in the 90s to introduce Falun Gong to the West. And in fact, the government was very proud of it, and Falun Gong was changing Chinese society for the better. So if you take other very important Chinese human rights issues, Hong Kong, Tibetans, and Uyghurs, and you add all of them together, they amount to maybe 30 million people, which isn't even one half of the lowest estimates the Chinese government themselves had for the amount of Falun Gong practitioners in 1999. So in 1999, Falun Gong was about three times the size of Tibet, Hong Kong, and Uyghurs combined, and it represents the largest spiritual group targeted for elimination and persecution in Chinese history. And so when we look at Jiang Zemin's legacy, we have to highlight two of the most egregious and horrific things that Jiang founded and set up under his reign. We're going to start with the 610 office, and then we're going to talk about the evil crime of forced organ harvesting. The 610 office, which started on June 10, 1999, is an extra-legal network that reports directly to Jiang, and with all unlimited power and budget operated outside of the law. They were told directly by Jiang Zemin that any Falun Gong deaths by torture were to be marked as suicides. And the 610 office ran the networks of detention centers, brainwashing centers, and black jails. And torturers were rewarded with promotions and bonuses by Zhang's directive. This extra-legal security force is basically by experts known as the Gestapo of China. And it was specifically geared to persecuting Falun Gong. And attempted to carry out Zhang's directive through misinformation and propaganda, internet censorship, and expanded their tentacles around the world and through the most powerful entities in China. And they had full reign over the state-controlled media, the internet, and all aspects of professional and civilian life, into people's workplaces, companies, and into the state-controlled hospitals where forced organ harvesting happens. And the torture, the black jails, the labor camps, the brainwashing centers, and the entire state-sponsored industry of CCP's forced organ harvesting are all at the directive of the 610 office. And John ordered them to eradicate Falun Gong by any means necessary. And speaking of deaths by torture, the true death toll of Falun Gong practitioners is unknown, but we do have documented 4,800 deaths by torture that are proven and they're people that we know and can trace. But because of how hard it is to get firsthand information out of China, the true death figure is unknown. We should really talk about the types of torture that peaceful Falun Gong practitioners from very, very young ones to the elderly have undergone under Zhang's directive. Burning with boiling water shocking with electron batons, even to women's genitals, beating to death, 
injecting with drugs, forced feeding, stretching practitioners to death. And that list is by no means exhaustive of the torture that Falun Gong practitioners still undergo to this day. And the amount of money and resources spent on the 610 apparatus specifically to persecute Falun Gong is unprecedented. A CCP Justice Department official once said that the financial resources used to deal with Falun Gong have exceeded the outlay for war. The massive use of China's GDP on persecuting and killing innocent peaceful citizens through the Gestapo 610 office is Jiang Zemin's legacy. But if you remember nothing else about Jiang Zemin, know that he was the one that was personally responsible for one of the worst crimes in history that continues to this day. The Chinese Communist Party's state-sponsored forced organ harvesting of live Falun Gong practitioners so that their organs could be sold for profit through the CCP-controlled network of organ transplant networks. Forced organ harvesting has been proven through first-hand testimony of surgeons that have come out of China, from testimony from people like Hong Yu, who you heard from earlier, prisoners whose blood was tested 11 times in a month while they were simultaneously being tortured. We have recorded phone calls from doctors admitting to having four Falun Gong organs to order. Public websites and advertisements of CCP hospitals advertising very short wait times, almost instant match rates. And for comparison in developed countries like the US with very sophisticated donation systems, which China doesn't have, wait times for vital organs are two to three years. However, the CCP is able to match them in almost real time, meaning that they have a large pool of healthy organs to pull from. And all of this started in 1999 when massive amounts of Falun Gong practitioners in the millions were starting to be detained. And I say all this to establish that talking about whether forced organ harvesting has happened or is happening is not actually credible at this point in time, because no serious or credible person or outlet who can look into the evidence would disagree. And research by David Mattis, Kilgore, and Ethan Gutman, the China Tribunal, independent organizations, as well as most governments around the world, most recently the UK, shows that this atrocity is happening. And so given the nature of this widely accepted heinous crime, how do we know that Zhang orchestrated it? The primary evidence is three factors. From 1999 to 2000, organ transplants 10X'd, according to Hu Xiaoxun, a CCP doctor who bragged about it. And this was exactly at the time when Falun Gong practitioners were being detained in the millions. And no excuse and no explanation can account for those organs. The second factor is that nothing happened under Zhang's iron fist rule, especially with Falun Gong, without his knowledge. And if you look at the way he ruled, he was personally responsible for everything related to Falun Gong. And asking the 610 office to eradicate Falun Gong by any means necessary, of course forced organ harvesting is by no means far-fetched, given the torture and deaths that are already being caused. But the strongest evidence comes from former PLA Minister for Health, Bai Xu Zhang, who in a forensically examined phone call by undercover investigators, stated that Zhang directly ordered the killing of Falun Gong practitioners for their organs. When we try to understand Zhang's motives for these things, which I've thought about a lot over the past 15 years of doing this work, there's a, there's a lot of reasons you can point to. Zhang wanted power, he was jealous, there was more people practicing Falun Gong than in the CCP. But those explanations compare in comparison to the fact that Zhang Zemin is just that evil. There's a huge gap between the transplant volume and the number of criminal executions or the number of donations that China has each year. So Chinese officials have never given a precise number of the amount of uh, organs that are transplanted each year, but typically they've said anything from 10,000 organs a year to in 06, China Daily said 20,000 a year. But Kilgore, Gutman, and Mattis did a report called the Bloody Harvest Slaughter 
an update which shows that the annual figure is easily surpassed by just a few hospitals, from what China says. And overseas media and Chinese media have reported that some hospitals in China conduct thousands of transplants a year. Through meticulous examination of the evidence of hundreds of transplant hospitals in China, Kilgore, Gutman, and Mattis estimate that China's actual transplant volume is closer to 60 to 100,000 per year since 2000. But according to Amnesty International and the Daihua Foundation, the number of executions in China is only a few thousand. So with the extremely low voluntary donation rate, the huge gap in organs can only be explained by prisoners of conscience, mostly Falun Gong practitioners. This shows that the death toll could be hundreds of thousands for the past two decades combined. And the China Tribunal confirmed this research in 2019. So let me repeat. It is highly likely that hundreds of thousands of Falun Gong practitioners have been killed for their organs as a direct result of Zhang's tyrannical, murderous rage and orchestration and direct commands. So if that is not genocide, what is? Zhang is somebody that weaponized the entire populace and state apparatus and countless resources all against peaceful citizens and changed China's history in a terrible, terrible way. We would actually have a much different China today if it was not for Zhang. The introduction of Falun Gong to society was permeating all of society. If you think about the growth rate of Falun Gong from 92 to 99, it was one out of every 13 people in China. Imagine if that had continued till 2009. Would one out of five people be practicing Falun Gong? Would that have changed the openness of Chinese society? What we would have today is an entirely different China. But Zhang personally decided through corruption and through his evil and through bloodshed, to take China back to its darkest days and set up China and the officials and the corrupt system and the apparatus that still continues to this day to persecute Falun Gong. And so when we look at his legacy, his legacy is one of murder and his legacy is one of bloodshed. And so how should he be remembered? He should be remembered as among the worst despots in history. He's inhumane and vicious, murderous dictator with countless innocent blood in his hands. And any attempt by any serious publication or person to look at him dialectically, despite these crimes, is ludicrous and shouldn't be taken seriously. After all, nobody would look at two sides of Hitler or Mao or any of the murderous dictators throughout history. Once you've done those inhumane acts and acted in a way that is no longer in accordance with being a human being, you don't get to be looked at dialectically by history and you are defined by your evil. And quite simply, Jiang Zemin's legacy is defined by his evil. Thanks for joining us today and we'll talk again in a few weeks. In the meantime, you can help affect change by sharing this video with your friends and family.